VCY America presents Crosstalk, a nationwide call-in program discussing issues that have an effect on our families, our communities, our churches, our nation, and our world. Crosstalk, an opportunity for you to voice your concerns for biblical principles. And now live by satellite and around the world on the internet at vcyamerica.org. Here is today's Crosstalk. Friends, thank you for joining us on Crosstalk here on the VCY American Network. Ladies and gentlemen, what is happening under the guise of public education is both frightening and appalling. Last fall, we learned of a Christian student who filed a religious discrimination lawsuit indicating she was ordered by Chicago Public School staff members to meditate during a required quiet time. She was told to bow to deity that she did not recognize and to internalize mantras to reach Zen. Other school districts have required students to memorize the Islamic pillars of faith and and even take a field trip to a mosque. Textbooks have been rewritten to push CRT and a false accounting of our nation's history. Planned Parenthood, the nation's largest killer of preborn babies, has been invited into schools for their services and, in my opinion, sexually perverse instruction to students. In early February, it was reported of a drag queen teacher in West Virginia arrested on child sexual exploitation charges. Going on right now in Colorado is legislation being considered that would require the state's public and charter schools to socially transition any any gender-confused student by adopting that child's preferred name and pronouns. And to expand on that, Just a bit further, being reported this week, the U.S. Department of Education has submitted to the U.S. Office of Management and Budget its final Title IX rule that would force widespread recognition of LGBT identities throughout the entire education system in America. Writing at the Federalist, Mountain State's Legal Foundation attorney William Trockman warns that ramifications of suggesting that schools must accept, validate, and accommodate Every student's self-proclaimed gender identity and sexual orientation or else be adjudicated to have violated federal civil rights laws. Our guest, we'll be introducing here in just a moment, has written recently about government officials offering New Jersey school children taxpayer-funded cash prizes to shill for Big Pharma and its never-ending list of vaccines and mRNA injections. He also recently wrote of a teacher in Maine who has asked students to confess their unconscious biases and give a homework assignment asking them to write a declaration of independence from something problematic in their lives, such as parents or authority more broadly. Friends, what I have shared in brief is not even the tip of the iceberg. Well, friends, as you can surmise, our topic today is coming as a warning regarding what's happening within this realm of education. And I'd like to share with you a quote. Standardized tests show Americans are getting dumber and dumber with each passing year. And polls now consistently show that more than half of young Americans today prefer socialism over freedom. This is obviously not sustainable, at least if the United States is going to survive as a free society. And friends, according to intense research and study conducted by our guest, it's also not an accident. It's all encompassed in a newly released book, Indoctrinating Our Children to Death. Its author is with us today, Alex Newman, an award-winning international freelance journalist, author, researcher, educator, and consultant, senior editor for The New American, co-author of Crimes of the Educators, also author of The Deep State, and now the new book, Indoctrinating Our Children to Death. He is founder of Liberty Sentinel. Alex, thank you for joining us today. It's an honor to be here. Thank you very much for having me, Jim. Alex, like I said, this is not even the tip of the tip of the iceberg, really. I mean, there is so much that's going on. Don't you think I should be perked uh, wide open to, to to know what's going on? Um, I do, Jim, and, and frankly, it breaks my heart that this is happening to children all across the country. And And I know there's a lot of people listening to us right now who live in conservative areas of the country, maybe conservative states, conservative districts, and they think this doesn't apply to them. This is ubiquitous all across the United States, and and these things that are being done to our children, I mean, these are crimes of breathtaking proportions. These are things that even a few years ago, uh, almost everybody would have understood uh, people ought to be locked up for these things, and unfortunately, the the history goes back such a long way. So I, I pray that 
through this radio broadcast and through other means that God is using to, to reach his people, uh, we can at least awaken the church to the horrors that are taking place right now, to the abuses being committed against our children, and the implications of this more broadly. So I believe it's really foundational for our program to uh, to know about the history of public education uh, here in brief, Alex. Many people assume public education has just always been, it's always existed, but that's not the case, is it? That's not the case. And, uh, you know, for, for almost 2,000 years of church history, the idea that the government would educate our children for us would have been inconceivable to people of God. In fact, really to anybody, but especially to the people of God, because the Bible has quite a bit to say about uh, how children are to be educated and raised and, and uh, discipled. And uh, notice nowhere in no chapter, in no verse, do we read anything about Caesar or the authorities playing any role whatsoever in that process. So uh, the history of government education uh, really begins less than two centuries ago, and it has been anti-Christian. It has been decidedly anti-Christian from the very beginning, from the first man who dreamed up the idea that the government ought to educate our children, through to the people who implemented it, through to the people who seized control of that architecture, weaponized it further. Mm. And, um, you know, that's uh, it's for me, it's incredible that uh, they have gotten away with doing this now for so long without Christians asking themselves, does this make sense? Uh, is this what God would have us do with our children? Is this what the Bible teaches about the education of children? So this is a very recent innovation. Uh, it has been uh, an experiment that, in my opinion, has, has obviously failed. And um, we don't have to go back that far to learn how education can be done and should be done. Uh, in fact, uh, in our own country, we uh, here in the United States of America, we were by far the best educated people on the face of the planet at any time in human history before anyone ever stepped foot in a government school. And yet we are losing that all right now at a very rapid rate because of what is happening with this system. Well, many people will recognize names like John Dewey and Horace Mann. We'll get to them in just a bit. But uh, to really understand government education, uh, you take us back to Robert Owen and what you refer to as a long forgotten communist commune in Indiana called New Harmony. Shed some light on that for us. Well, thank you, Jim. And, and you know, at the time, Robert Owen was actually a pretty prominent individual. He was well known. Um, and, and he was a socialist in the true sense of the term. Um, he, he was, interestingly, kind of wealthy. He married into a wealthy family. Uh, he acquired a textile manufacturing operation from uh, his father-in-law and right away started doing social experiments there. Uh, one of the big innovations that he had was the, the establishment, this factory, this community that was built up around this textile operation had a program where they would take children from their mothers starting at age two or three and try to teach them and mold them. So this is a, a very new innovation. And he set up this communist commune. He eventually came to the United States. He set up this communist commune in Indiana called New Harmony, where um, he wanted to test out his ideas, and he wanted to prove that they were superior to the existing paradigm, right? Uh, God, of course, ordained private property when he said, thou shalt not steal. God, of course, ordained the marriage and the, the nuclear family with a mo mother and a father and raising children. Uh, these are divinely ordained institutions. But uh, Robert Owen rejected the Bible. He rejected the truth that God has revealed to us, both through creation and through the Holy Scriptures. And uh, he thought he had a better way. Uh, he believed that if we could get out of this system, that we could have a, a sort of utopia. And so he tested out these ideas at New Harmony. Uh, it failed in less than two years. Mm. But he wrote all these essays regarding his views on why it failed. And, and it, basically his diagnosis was the reason it failed was because the people in this commune grew up and were educated in a thoroughly Christian society with principles that are incompatible with the utopia that he wanted to build. And so he concluded that, and he wrote an essay on this, um, where he argued that the best government would be the one that had the best system of education for children. Now, again, at the time, this was very radical. Right? The idea that the government would educate children was unheard of at that time. So he wrote these essays, and um, according to his autobiography, the Prussian ambassador got a hold of them, took them over to Prussia, and the Prussian dictator, uh, actually he had just lost a war with Napoleon, he was still smarting from that, uh, and he, he thought maybe we could create more obedient soldiers who will kind of do what I tell them to do and next time we'll win the war. He ordered his interior minister to set up a, a government school system based on these ideas. And according to Robert Owen's autobiography, uh, the, the Prussian dictator so much approved of these essays and these ideas that he made it a central point of his government. And that is the first example we can find outside of fascist Sparta of education 
of the state, by the state, and for the state. And so in the United States, these ideas did not take root right away. And so what uh, Robert Owen did is, uh, and we know this because of a whistleblower, I'll talk about him in a moment, his name was Orestes Brownson, and he, had, uh, he became a Catholic and he repented of his involvement in this. But he said that Robert Owen set up a secret society modeled on the Carbonari for the purpose of promoting these ideas. They wanted to change public opinion so that the public would support the idea, or at least the camel's nose under the tent when it comes to the government educating children. Um, and, and the other objective the secret society had, on the surface at least, was to get men elected to legislatures who would support the idea of having a government role in education. And according to Orestes Brownson, who wrote a book about all this, he said he knew of the operations of this society because he was organizing the state of New York uh, as part of it. And uh, he said that the ultimate objective, and this is a direct quote from Orestes Brownson, the ultimate objective of trying to build this government school system, he said, was to eliminate Christianity. Right. And he said, you know, we weren't going to come out openly and tell people where we were going to destroy their religion. We wanted to do it gradually. We wanted to exclude all religions, all things that could, could not be verified by the census from the classroom. And he says, yeah, we would ridicule the clergy wherever we could, but uh, we, we didn't want to be too obvious. And first we wanted a state system of government schools and then a national one. So this is eventually what happened, right? These guys fanned out across the country. They promoted these ideas. And um, about a generation after that, Horace Mann, who's almost universally recognized as at least one of the founders of the present-day government school system, mm -hmm. took these ideas from Prussia, brought them to Massachusetts. He got himself selected by the legislature there as the first ever secretary of education of any state. Right, No state had ever had a secretary of education before because we didn't have a government school system. And um, he brought the Prussian system to Massachusetts. And so that's how it actually began in the United States of America back in the mid-1800s. It's amazing. And and I also was reading in your book that the blame for failure, though, was was not on the methods that they were trying to do at the New Harmony, but on the people who did not embrace socialism. The people were the problem. That's right. And he believed that the reason these people were just too individualistic and not open enough to getting rid of private property and getting rid of the family was that they had grown up in an environment that was just thoroughly saturated yeah. with Christianity. And so his solution to that was, let's have the government step in, let's have the government educate the children, and that way we'll reduce and eventually eliminate the influence of Christianity on the minds of the future people who will live in our utopia. We're, we're just a minute before the break, but what is the old deluder Satan Act from the 1640s, and what does that have to do with education? So that was the first ever education act passed in North America. It was passed by the Pilgrims, and uh, they basically had a Bible colony there uh, where there was virtually no separation between church and state. It was kind of one institution. And they passed this law in the 1640s where they said that the main objective of Satan, uh, or the main tool that Satan uses, that, that old deluder, was to keep men from knowledge of the scriptures. And so they passed a law saying that everybody in this colony needs to learn how to read so that they can understand their Bible so that Satan cannot deceive them. And so that's really the genesis of education in America. But these were not government schools in the sense that we understand today. These were probably better thought of as church schools. And, of course, parents still retained the primary responsibility, authority, and task of educating their children. Our guest today on Crosstalk is Alex Newman, and uh, he is author of the newly released book, Indoctrinating Our Children to Death. He is founder uh, of uh, Liberty Sentinel. We're going to delve further into this issue. We talked briefly about Horace Mann, but, but friends, after the break, we're going to introduce you to one named John Dewey. So stay with us. You're listening to Crosstalk on the VCY American Network. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, Creation Seminar Speaker at the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, how many different types of animals did Noah take on board the ark? Chris, detractors from the biblical flood story say that there were way too many animals to have fit on board the ark. But not so. Let's look carefully. First off, we need to recognize that most animals live in the ocean and would not have to be on board the ark. They would survive, at least in representative numbers, outside the ark. By the way, Noah didn't even have to take two of every species. The Bible says two of every kind, probably a broader category which might include a number of species, like the dog kind. Altogether, I suspect that there were probably less than 20,000 animals on board the ark. This was difficult for Noah, but not impossible. 
At least that's the way I see it from a Back to Genesis perspective. For more on creation, visit our website at www.icr.org. I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in. Listening to Crosstalk on VCY America, Alex Newman with us here today. His newly released book, Indoctrinating Our Children to Death. And uh, we've heard some names, perhaps you hadn't heard the name uh, before, that uh, we had uh, talked about here, Mr. Owens and Robert Owen. And uh, certainly many of you have heard uh, heard of uh, Horace Mann. There are many schools named after him across this nation. But I'd like you to... Uh, uh, Alex introduces to John Dewey. He has been lauded as the founding father of progressive education. Tell us about John Dewey. So John Dewey is probably the single most important and most influential individual when it comes to this thing we call the public school system today. Um, and, you know, that, that's not just my opinion. If you go to any college of education at any state university in this country, they'll teach about him as a as a great hero who helped uh, bring Americans out of their ignorance and their backwardness by um, really promoting these new methods of education. And so he basically picked up where Horace Mann had left off. After Horace Mann finished working in Massachusetts, he traveled across the country uh, like an evangelist, really preaching the good news of salvation by government education. Um, you know, and, and Horace Mann was interesting as well. He was, of course, uh, he denied the Trinity. He kind of identified uh, as a Unitarian, so he rejected the truths in the Bible, and he actually wanted to get the Bible out of schools, although that was unthinkable at the time. I mean, for, pe- for normal people, that's like an oxymoron. How could you have education without the Bible? I mean, that's the main textbook. What, how, how would you do that? Um, and, and he, had, of course, had a very flawed view of man. He, he believed that uh, human beings were essentially good, and, uh, you know, the Bible teaches us that the heart is desperately wicked, that we have this sin nature. And so uh, so all these flaws with Horace Mann's worldview uh, were really at the core of the emerging government school system. And so by the time we got to the early 1900s, virtually every state had created some sort of government school system, and virtually every state had passed some sort of mandatory attendance laws, compulsory attendance. Now, it, it didn't look like it did today, right? I mean, you, you, you mm-hmm. wouldn't go for nine months a year, five days a week, eight hours a day. That, would, again, would have been unthinkable at the time. But the camel's nose was under the tent. And so along comes John Dewey, and, and he picks up on this architecture and says, this is a really, really useful tool. Now, before we get into his role in education, I think it's helpful to understand a little bit about John Dewey. Um, he was a communist uh, in the truest sense of the term. Now, he had some disagreements with the Marxists. Uh, they were revolutionaries. They wanted to use violence and revolution to overthrow the old order, whereas uh, John Dewey preferred a patient and gradual approach. But um, he was much more opposed to Americans and, and American principles and Christianity than he was to revolutionary Marxism. In fact, he went to the Soviet Union. And uh, we know what he thought about it because he wrote a whole bunch of essays and, and articles that appeared in the New Republic magazine. That I, I think today you look at them and you think, how could somebody have been so mistaken? Uh, he talked about the system as if it was uh, amazing. He especially liked how the, the government indoctrination system over there was instilling what he said was a collectivistic mentality in the minds of the children. Uh, no mention, of course, of the mass murder of the uh, secret police, of the destruction of churches, of the brutal, ruthless persecution of Christians. We, he didn't mention any of that uh, except to dismiss it in his essays and articles. So that was kind of his worldview. And we, we know quite a bit about his religious views as well, because he actually saw himself as one of the founders of a new religion. Uh, so John Dewey and about 30 of his colleagues, almost all of them from academia, got together and they produced what uh, they called the Humanist Manifesto. Uh, today, it's, it's known as the, the First Humanist Manifesto because it was the first. And I encourage people to read this document. It'll tell you pretty much everything you need to know about John Dewey's worldview. Uh, it starts off with the first tenant where he says, they say, that the, the, we religious humanists believe that the universe is self-existing mm. and not created. Uh, of course, we as Christians, we believe Genesis 1-1 in the beginning, God created the right. heavens and the earth. So right off the bat, John Dewey and his buddies are telling us they reject Christianity, they reject uh, the basic fundamental pre- uh, premises of Christianity. And as you keep reading through this, uh, what you find is this is really communism disguised as a religion. The idea that 
there is no real God, and so each of us, we can be our own little gods, and we can determine for ourselves what's right and wrong. And he had the idea of spreading this new religion through this budding public school system that was just uh, really starting to take root in America. Now, they, they didn't get most American children into government schools until right after World War One is when that really happened, when women were forced into the factories and uh, the men were sent off to, to Europe to die in the war. But um, Dewey teamed up with the Rockefellers. This is a really, really interesting story. And um, the Rockefellers gave him $3.1 million through a foundation they had called the General Education Board. And, and so this is where Dewey really got his first big break in education. He had spent a lot of years writing about education. But his first big break where he got to really try out the ideas was at the University of Chicago with his money from the Rockefellers. He set up an experimental school where uh, they used some of the methods that Horace Mann encouraged to teach reading, where they taught this fraudulent worldview from the pit of hell, um, and, and basically produced a bunch of students who could not read, who could not write, who could not do math properly, who could not tell right from wrong. And uh, they actually decided that that would be the perfect model for the country. It's, I mean, and, Alex, I mean, we talk about, you know, the three hours, reading, writing, arithmetic, but he advocated against those things for this, what you call collective humanism. He did. And, and the, the thing that's so interesting about this, Jim, is we have the smoking gun documents proving this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he wrote an essay that we quote in the book. Um, it's called The Primary Education Fetish. Uh, and this was published in a, in a relatively obscure journal. But what John Dewey says is you know, we place way too much emphasis on teaching these children how to read and write. And, you know, these are individualistic activities because when a child is reading a book, that's just him in the book. That's just him and the author of the book. That's not something that's social, that's not collective. And so what he emphasized in this essay is we need to move away from that old model of really focusing on teaching children how to think and how to read and how to do math and things. I uh, said, you know, we can maybe do those when they get older. What we really need to focus on is socializing them, teaching them that they're part of the group and that they need to put their individual interests subordinate to the group interests. In other words, we need to brainwash them to be good little collectivists. And one of the quotes from that essay, and, and I've memorized it at this point, it is so revealing about the mindset of these people. He says, these changes must come gradually. Mm-hmm. If we force it unduly, it will compromise its final success by favoring a violent reaction. So he knew they would have to deceive parents, they would have to deceive taxpayers, they would have to deceive the American people, or the American people would react with violence to the kinds of things that he wanted to do to us. So it's uh, it's a horrible story. And just one more thing on John Dewey's religion, because I think it's really critical for Christians to understand this. This is like the founding father of what we call today the public school system. His religion, which, again, he was very open about. Nobody uh, disputes where he was at, religiously speaking, uh, is actually not. They thought they were inventing a new religion, but it's really not all that new. The idea that men can be their own little gods and determine for themselves what's right or wrong. Uh, I mean, we should recognize this from Genesis chapter three, right? That's what the serpent said to Adam and Eve: "Ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil." So we need to really recognize that when the Bible says, when Jesus says in Matthew and in Luke that you're either with me or against me, um, that is very, very true, and it very much applies in this case. It is clear that John Dewey was not with Christ. He was against Christ, and yet he built the system that is educating the children of the vast majority of the Christians in this country. Yeah, and again, friends, introducing socialism, but to do it gradually, and Alex, we, we can, I mean, when we look at, see what's happening today and the product that is being put forth today, by and large, um, we are seeing that 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 gradual, you know, gradual system that has been utilized is one that's had uh, bearing great fruit today. It is, and and that's why we're getting what we're seeing today. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, a little bit of additional background here on John Dewey's religion before we talk about the fruit. Um, one of his colleagues who co-signed this Humanist Manifesto, um, his name was C. F. Potter. And he wrote a book called Humanism, A New Religion. And in this book, he actually revealed that they were going to use the public school system, the government school system, to propagate this religion. And he ridicules churches. He says, what is a church going to do with the children one hour a week on Sunday, with a fraction of the children one hour a week on Sundays, against five days of humanistic teaching in the schools? And, of course, he knew the answer, and we should know the answer. The answer is nothing. Right, And so fast forward a few decades, and this religion, this worldview of John Dewey's was becoming very widespread. We were uh, quite dumbed down as a people. 
And then in 1962 and 1963, the Supreme Court stepped in and made it official. They said uh, we could not have prayer in the schools. They said we could not have the Bible in schools. And I encourage everybody listening to me right now, read the dissent that was put together in these cases by uh, Justice Potter Stewart, because he hit the nail on the head. He identified precisely what was happening here. He said, with these rulings, what we have done is not created a state of neutrality with respect to religion. Rather, what we've done here is we have established the religion of secularism, or as John Dewey would have recognized, the religion of humanism. So under the guise of enforcing the First Amendment, the Supreme Court established a false religion from the pit of hell, forced us to pay for it with our taxes, and forced us to hand our children over to be indoctrinated to believe in this false mm -hmm. religion. And that's where we're at today. So we wonder, why are our kids killing themselves? Why are they shooting each other? Why are they taking heroin? Why don't they know what bathroom to go into? Why are the little boys demanding to be castrated and the little girls demanding hysterectomies? Well, that is the fruit of this poison seed, and we should not be surprised. Alex Newman with us today, Indoctrinating Our Children to Death. Before we continue on, Alex, how, how is your book attainable? Uh, there are several ways. Um, people who want it quickly can get it on Amazon. Um, and if you have Prime, it's even free shipping. Uh, if people don't mind waiting a little longer and paying shipping, they can get it through my website. I'll sign it. That's at uh, Liberty Sentinel. That's S-E-N-T-I-N-E-L dot org forward slash shop. Or you can just go to the main homepage and click on the store button. And right now it's taken us between a week and two weeks to get them out. But uh, I'd be very happy to send it to people that way. Uh, it will be in a lot of bookstores very soon, and there will be other ways. But for right now, Amazon and my website are the easiest. LibertySentinel.org. And uh, yes, you'll get it. That you said an autographed copy, Alex? Yes, sir. Yep. If people buy from my website, I will sign a copy before I put it in the mail. Very good. Uh, LibertySentinel.org. Um, tell us about the Frankfurt School and how it was used to transform education. So the Frankfurt School was uh, actually a project of the Comintern, the, the Communist International. <laughs> this was basically an alliance of all the communist parties of the world under the leadership of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. And um, they formed this group in uh, in Frankfurt, in Germany. They, they eventually realized, uh, Antonio Gramsci and many others realized, that the Marxist idea of communist revolution happening as something inevitable was just not going to happen in the Western world. Uh, they recognized that, uh, you know, even though they were successful in Russia with a lot of money from the Wall Street banks and things, uh, they just weren't going to be able to convince the Germans or the French or the Americans or the Swedes or uh, the Norwegians or, or, you know, even the Poles to violently rise up and overthrow the old system. So they came up with a new idea. Uh, it's often called today cultural Marxism. They determined that they actually needed to de-Christianize these societies. They identified Christianity as uh, really public enemy number one, because that's what was keeping people from embracing Marxist revolution. Uh, you know, the, the, the way they put it, we Christians, we could suffer all sorts of problems because we had this hope of heaven, and so we weren't as concerned. We didn't want to rebel against authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so they set up this operation. Um, it was actually called the Institute for Social Research, and it was at the University of uh, Frankfurt. And uh, they had a falling out with their ideological cousins, the National Socialists, the Nazis, and uh, decided they needed to get out of Germany. And so with help from John Dewey and with money from the Rockefellers, there we go again, yep. <laughs> uh, these guys were imported in very, very large numbers into the state. Well, let's uh, just pick up with that after the break. Alex Newman is with us today. Yeah, I mean, and Alex refers to the foundations as being part of that indoctrination, the Ford Foundation, the Rockefeller Foundation, the Carnegie Endowment. Well, friends, stay with us. We've got more information to share about the NEA, even the creation of the Department of Education, back in one minute here on Crosstalk. Israel. It's only about the size of New Jersey, yet it makes headlines all over the world. Throughout history, many attempts have been made to annihilate the Jews. Threats continue today to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Yet none of these attempts have ever succeeded. In the book, Miracle of Israel, authors Gary Frazier and Jim Fletcher present the shocking, untold story of God's love for his people. The authors take you back to Israel past focusing on God's promise to Abraham, the entry into the promised land, and the message of the prophets. 
You'll read of Israel present, with events leading up to and including Israel becoming a nation. And you'll read of Israel's future, the Gog and Magog War, the Great Tribulation, and the Millennial Kingdom. Miracle of Israel is available for a donation of $17 or more when you call 1-800-729-9829. Alex Newman is our guest here today on Crosstalk. Uh, recently released his book, Indoctrinating Our Children to Death, where he really goes back into the full background here on on education uh, as far as how it is being portrayed through the public education system here today and um, just uh, knowing its background and what were those uh, goals set out at the beginning and and certainly to transform education here even through socialism and and we see so much of that fruit that is coming forth in our system today and uh, really the attacks on Christianity that are going on it's not new friends the, the seeds were planted long ago for this to take place uh, Alex Newman is our guest and by the way you can uh, find his book at uh, Liberty sentinel.org so alex you were telling us about that frankfurt school you're telling us about these uh, the foundations having a part in this indoctrination as well and maybe I'll let you wrap that up before we hit the next subject here sure well thank you so the, the frankfurt school was really a, an incredibly influential organization uh, they came over again with the assistance of john dewey with the assistance of the rockefeller family and uh, they right away started weaseling their way into academia and they started promoting these very, very dangerous ideas. Uh, they argued, for example, in this uh, authoritarian personality, where they essentially argued that the American father was oppressive and that this was conducive to fascism because um, you know, American fathers were leading their families and uh, that apparently they were uh, very uh, oppressive toward their wives and toward their children. And so they, they were promoting ideas like this through the culture, and they really focused in on education because, of course, they understood that uh, education is uh, upstream from culture, and culture is upstream from politics. So their goal was always to bring about kind of cultural Marxism. They wanted to destroy the old culture and bring in a new culture, really a, a communist culture, and they recognized that education would be key. And so you actually had a lot of foundations that partnered with them. This is one of the things that's so interesting. And some of this came out in Congress, uh, which to me is fascinating. So Congress got very concerned about what these big foundations like the Rockefeller Foundation, like the Ford Foundation, like the Carnegie Foundation. And they launched an investigation. Now, this was in the late 1940s. It was called it had the Reese Committee and then the Cox Committee. So they had two uh, separate select committees that looked into this. And uh, what they found is absolutely stunning. Uh, they ended up producing a final report. And uh, what they said was that America had already undergone a revolution. So they were talking about the revolution as having been in the past tense. Hmm. And they said, this revolution never would have been possible. It never would have succeeded with the consent of the American people if education had not prepared the way in advance. And so you look at the roles of the Rockefeller Foundation and the Carnegie Foundation in particular in, in radically changing education, a lot of it through John Dewey and his buddies at Columbia University. And one of the really interesting things that came out of this uh, investigation the, uh, the chief investigator, his name was Norman Dodd. Uh, he was hired by Congress to lead this investigation. And uh, he was summoned to the office of Alan Geither. He was the president of the Ford Foundation at the time. And uh, he actually revealed this in an interview later with uh, G. Edward Griffin. And it's still available on YouTube. People can find this. I encourage people to listen to the whole interview. But the, the component that most attracted my attention was this this time where he recounts being summoned to the office of Alan Geither, the head of the Ford Foundation. And according to Norman Dodd, the chief investigator, he said, Alan Geither said to him, look, you, you don't need to bother with this investigation. I'll tell you what we're doing. We are working with the White House, and we are working, this is almost a direct quote from Norman Dodd, uh, quoting Alan Geither, we are working to so alter life in the United States that it can be comfortably merged with the Soviet Union. Wow. Um, of course, exactly what Charlotte Isserby, uh, senior advisor to Ronald Reagan a few decades later, would reveal through leaked documents, that mm -hmm. they were actually merging the U.S. and Soviet educational systems for the purpose of eventually creating this one-world system. Well, not only do you expose the role of foundations in your book, uh, but you also expose the teachers' union, namely the NEA. Yeah, and the NEA uh, has been hugely influential. It continues to be actually one of the most influential institutions in our society today. 
Um, they're the largest union in America. They have over 3 million members, incredibly well-funded, right? They're collecting dues from over 3 million members, and they're plowing that right back into our political system. They're also using that influence over teachers and over education policy. A lot of school boards are actually dominated entirely by the decisions and the support of the unions to bring these changes in. And one of the things that's really interesting is to go back and look at the history. So the NEA has a long and very open history of advocating for things that I think normal Americans and, and Christians in particular would find abhorrent. So they actually made John Dewey their honorary life president, which was interesting. He remained their honorary president until he died. And even back in the 20s and in the 30s, they were advocating for dismantling capitalism. They were advocating for a world school board, which eventually was born in the form of UNESCO, the UN Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. And so you have uh, this teachers' union that played such a major role in education policy. Uh, one of their crowning achievements in their own view was the creation of the U.S. Department of Education um, under Jimmy Carter. So they have played an enormous enormous role in so-called public education. And we don't have to speculate about what their leadership believed because they talked about it in speeches, they wrote about it in their newsletter, and we have these primary source documents proving exactly what they believed. They believed that the American system of free enterprise was outdated and needed to be uh, subordinated to collective ownership of the means of production. They believed in world government, uh, and they promoted these things, again, totally openly in their own newsletters wow. going out to all their teachers. So this is history that I think people need to understand. Indeed. And friends, his book goes into UNESCO, and, and time is not going to permit us to get into all the, 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 the details here. Julian Huxley is another, and um, we talked just about the formation of the Department of Education, and this has usually been targeted by by conservative presidents, but we understand this is a department that's very entrenched and committed to socialism. I understand that even, uh, was it Betsy DeVos, who tried to transform this tar- department, ran into many, many roadblocks. Yeah, and, and the Department of Education has been one of the really critical tools that they used to basically nationalize the American education system. And so it started off small, right? Again, the camel's nose under the tent is the same idea here. It, the first federal involvement in education of any significance was, were these Supreme Court rulings that we mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. where they established the religion of secularism. Uh, just a few years after that, we had the ESEA, the um, Elementary and Secondary Education Act, that opened the floodgates for federal funding. And at first, it was just for a few different things, you know, for uh, students with disabilities, uh, discrimination issues, things like that. But uh, that was just, again, the camel's nose under the tent. And within a few years, it started morphing into, hey, we need national testing, and hey, we want to influence the textbook selections. And uh, it's at the point where by the time Barack Obama became president, the U.S. Department of Education, in partnership with the National Governors Association, which is a lobbying organization, uh, in partnership with Bill Gates, was able to use the U.S. Department of Education to impose national standards on the entire country. So this was a very rapid transformation. Uh, it was supported by the NEA at every step of the way, and it has been unbelievably destructive to the United States. And Alex, we have seen through the years initiatives like Goals 2000, No Child Left Behind, Common Core, and it seems that just when the public starts to understand what these things are about, that they'll vanish in name. However, the agenda continues, does it not? That's right, and it just keeps getting worse and worse. No matter how much money conservatives throw at this problem, no matter how much Christians try to get involved to reform the system, it just keeps getting worse and worse. And, uh, you know, once people get upset and once people say, hey, what are you doing? They, they rebrand the programs or they double down and they say, oh, you're not happy with that program? Well, here, let us replace it with a new program. Mm-hmm. And the new program is even worse than the previous one. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, it's just like a hamster running on, uh, on that wheel. You run, 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 and you never get anywhere. And, and that, unfortunately, is what uh, conservatives and Christians are starting to look like when it comes to education reform. We just run in the wheel, and, um, you know, they laugh at us for running in the wheel. And then we get off the wheel, and we realize, hey, we're right where we started. or worse. We're worse off than we were before. Friends, as I look at the clock and I look at information I want to get out yet on today's program, uh, but it's a rare occasion, but we're not going to take phone calls today so that we can cover some of these critical issues. Uh, Alex Newman, his uh, book that is entitled Indoctrinating Our Children to Death, available at LibertySentinel.org. Uh, Alex, there's a big rage going on across this country right now on uh, social emotional learning, SEL. Uh, some are openly bragging about SEL. Should they be? 
Well, if you really want to understand SEL, uh, I'll give you one fun fact, or maybe not so fun fact, and this should be everything that Christians need to know. Uh, as I was digging into this, and nobody had really done any critical examination of this, uh, so unfortunately I, I had to start from scratch, but I, I first went to the website of the organization that claims responsibility for pushing this. It's called CASEL, the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning. Well, when I got there, they had a history page. So I clicked on the history page to learn about the history of social-emotional learning. And right there at the top, the idea for social-emotional learning came from conversations that we were having at the Fetzer Institute. So I had never heard of the Fetzer Institute, so I looked it up. And turns out the Fetzer Institute is a new age institution founded by a very wealthy disciple of Alice Bailey, who was hmm. the founder of the Lucifer Publishing Company. And uh, oh so what is going on here is they are using social-emotional learning to indoctrinate our children in a way that would have been unthinkable a generation ago. The methods have become so sophisticated. And so I'll just give you an example of how this works, and it's across the board in every area. They tell the parents, hey, we've determined that your children need empathy. So empathy is one of the goals of our social-emotional learning program. And parents say, oh, that's great. I, I want my child to have empathy. I mean, who wouldn't want their child to have empathy? What they don't know is that the people running these programs define empathy as, for example, support for abortion, support for open borders, support for globalism, support for this whole uh, racial, critical race theory idea. And so under the guise of teaching children empathy, they're actually using very advanced psychological manipulation and, and really even behavioral conditioning to manipulate children into holding certain predetermined political, cultural, social, and moral viewpoints. Uh, and when you read their literature, they're pretty open about this. I mean, they tell you that this is about giving kids the right attitudes, the right values. And the question is, well, who's defining these? Are these the values that the Bible teaches, or are these somebody else's values? And the answer is very simple. They are not the values that the Bible teaches. Right, right. And uh, Alex, when we talk about education, we can't ignore the indoctrination going under the guise of sex education. I, I know we have to be very judicious in what we share here, but open our eyes to what's going on. And, and even about CECAS, the Sex uh, Sexuality Information Education Council of the United States. Yeah, when you get into the sex education issue, um, it gets unbelievably dark unbelievably quickly. And so I have two chapters in the book dealing with this, and they're subjects that are very hard to talk about, very hard to read about. You know, the Bible tells us that it's, it's shameful to even speak of some of these things. And so we, of course, have to be very circumspect in what we share. Mm -hmm. But um, a little bit of the history there. It actually, the, the first example I can find of sex education being used in education uh, was in the Belakun regime in Hungary, a very short-lived communist dictatorship that took root in Hungary uh, just over 100 years ago. And they had a deputy commissar of culture and education. His name was Georgi Lukacs. And he uh, very much believed that we needed to get rid of Christianity. Right? They wanted communism to succeed. They understood that Christian morals and ethics were an impediment to restructuring and transforming society. And so they came up with the idea that exposing children to horrific perversion, I mean, they were doing puppet shows showing children things that nobody should ever see, uh, would be a good way to break down the traditional Christian moral order, the traditional Christian family values. They were encouraging promiscuity. Uh, they were encouraging uh, free love, so-called. And uh, that regime collapsed uh, not long after those experiments began. But George Lukacs actually ended up at the Frankfurt School <laughs> the oh, Institute wow. for Social Research. And uh, so it comes full circle back to the United States. And there's another key character that we should mention. His name was Alfred Kinsey. Uh, he got a lot of his funding from the Rockefellers, and uh, he also was working with the Central Intelligence Agency on some very, very nefarious projects. And I, I hear the music, so maybe we can pick it up on the other side of the break. Friends, you're listening to Crosstalk on VCY America. Alex Newman with us here today. And uh, friends, I've got another two to three hours of questions here, but we're going to try and wrap it up in the final segment, so stay with us. Uh, we'll be back in one minute here on the VCY American Network. For the Worldview Report, I'm Brandon House. Our website is worldviewreport.com. Well, the world has been forced to face the reality of what we've been talking about for several months and some people for years, and that is that UNRWA, the UN organization in the Gaza, is a terrorist organization. That's what many of us believe, and indeed, we have found their supplementary curriculum to encourage the hatred of the Jews, genocide, jihad. 
And now we find that there was reportedly right underneath that UN building of UNRWA a big data server for Hamas, and they found weapons. Well, that doesn't come as a shock to us because shortly after the October 7th murder of 1,200 Jews, we reported that some of the terrorists, they were rejoicing about what they did. They were said to be graduates of this UN school where they were taught this ideology. It's time for Americans to understand the United Nations is an organization against Christians and Jews and liberty and freedom. Alex Newman, our guest today, indoctrinating our children to death. That's the title of his new book, available at libertysentinel.org. And uh, you can find more information there. Uh, just click on their, their um, store, their books uh, there on the site. You'll be able to find it. Uh, Alex, you were telling us about Alfred Kinsey. So Alfred Kinsey was, um, and you know me, Jim. I'm usually a very nice guy. I usually don't have mean things to say about right. people. But this was a vile, vile individual. Uh, this is a man who was absolutely obsessed with uh, sex and perversion. Uh, the, I mean, the the grotesque things that he was involved in cannot even be described. But um, he did a bunch of experiments, if you can call them that, uh, actually involving child abuse. So they didn't call it that. But they determined, and I, I won't give all the details, but they actually published their results and their data in a book by Kinsey called The Sexuality in the Human Male. It's in uh, a number of tables there. So they abused these children, and they came to the conclusion that the children actually enjoyed it and that they were sexual from birth, and therefore we needed to sexualize them from the moment we could pry them loose from their mothers. Uh, Kinsey thought that if we could start them at two years old, that would be ideal. And um, he and his buddies went on to launch SECAS, uh, the Sex Education and Information Council of the United States. Now they've changed the name. Now it's just SECAS, Sex Ed for Social Change. And um, this basically started the process of sexualizing American children. And they sold it to people as just hygiene and birth control. And, you know, we, we don't want people getting STDs and stuff. But, of course, they understood that the real agenda was far more nefarious. And today we're now at the point where they are teaching kindergartners things that are so perverted that yep. nobody should even mention them. Yeah, friends, it's atrocious. And uh, uh, we're going to hit another issue, Alex, in your book. You indicate that the Biden administration has been weaponizing education. How so? In almost every conceivable way. Um, and it's interesting because they have been pretty open about this as well. Uh, the former Secretary of Education uh, under Barack Obama, Arne Duncan, I call him Secretary of Miseducation, uh, he said openly and publicly, he quoted a communist terrorist, and said that education is the greatest weapon you can use to change the world. Well, what is that supposed to mean? A weapon? I, I thought that was to teach my children how to read, write, and do math. <laughs> At least that's what mm -hmm. the world says. Uh, well, no, it's a weapon to change the world. And so they have now weaponized the education system. They're turning our children into revolutionaries who hate God, who hate their parents, who hate their country. Um, I mean, we wonder why are our young people out in the streets burning down our cities? Why are they shooting at police officers? Why are they shrieking at, uh, at police and, and passersby? Why are they burning down businesses and rioting? Well, it's because they have been turned into weapons by the government school system. And then adding insult to injury, uh, you know, they, they've come out and told us now repeatedly that uh, the government really should have the primary responsibility for the education of children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when parents go and complain, when they go speak out at school boards, they're having the FBI sicked on them yep. for allegedly being uh, threatening. So we have a, a serious crisis in this country where they're openly, I mean, Biden has stood up on stage several times now and said, these children belong to all of us. They're all our children. Uh, that's what his secretary of education said in Senate testimony. He was asked if parents were the primary stakeholders in the education of their children. And um, the secretary, Secretary Miguel Cardona, said, uh, well, they're important stakeholders, but uh, but really the educators, right? I mean, just unbelievable. Mm. But this is what they're saying publicly, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Alex, can do you believe this system can be uh, uh, reformed? Uh, I'm I'm quite confident that it cannot be, uh, and the reason for that is that it is not a biblical model. So when when people ask me how do you reform the system, as far as I'm concerned, that's like asking me how would you like to reform your cancer. Well, I don't want to reform my cancer. <laughs> I want to get rid of the cancer. I want children to have a real education. I want children to learn how to glorify God. I want them to learn the scriptures. I want them to learn how to read, how to do math, how to 
think, how to be productive, how to be diligent, how to work hard. None of those things are happening in the system because it's not broken. It's doing what it was designed to do. So right now, about 80%, give or take 10% of our children, Christian children from Christian families who go through 12 years of public school are leaving the faith and leaving the church. This is a catastrophe, mm-hmm. unprecedented in all of church history. We are not, not only are we not discipling the nations, we're not even discipling our own children. People wonder why are the pews empty in church? Well, it's because our children are being discipled in a way that turns them away from God, away from the faith of their parents. And so, no, I don't believe the system can be reformed. I believe we need to ask some fundamental questions about the basics. Right? I mean, what should education do? What should education look like? Who should be in charge? And I think we need to go back to what the Bible prescribes, which is parents are the primary ones responsible. That doesn't mean they can't delegate some of that responsibility, but uh, parents are the primary ones responsible, and all education, all legitimate education from the Christian perspective must be Bible-focused. It must teach children how to read. It must teach children truth. It must teach them to seek truth, and, uh, and none of those things are possible in the system that currently exists. I think it needs to be abandoned, and we need to start over. And uh, Alex, sadly, we're down to about a minute and a half, but you write in your book that private education is at a historic crossroads and and the outcome of the fight will have a profound impact on the future. What do you mean it's at the crossroads? So there are growing efforts to try to bring Christian schools, private schools, uh, parochial schools, you know, all schools that are outside of the government system under the government system. And uh, we're in a very, very dangerous point. There's also a war on homeschooling going on right now. And uh, Christians, we must defend the right to raise, educate, and disciple our children in accordance with our faith, in accordance with truth. And those things are all under mortal threat right now. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I've been seeing some of the articles coming out, and it's homeschooling that's in the crosshairs. Homeschooling is being blamed for a failing public education system. It is. Uh, The Washington Post uh, over the last year has put out probably a dozen attack pieces on home education, it is going to get much worse. And uh, I was living in Sweden uh, about a decade ago when they banned homeschooling there. It was the first government since Adolf Hitler to formally criminalize homeschooling, but now it is spreading very rapidly. French just did it. The Portuguese are working on it. And uh, folks, it is coming here. It may not be here tomorrow, but it is coming here. So pay attention, be in prayer, protect your children. And, uh, I mean, this, this needs to be a non-negotiable line that we will not cross. We will not hand over our children to a godless government to be discipled contrary to our principles and our values. Friends, we've interviewed William J. Federer before on the program as well, where we've gone just through the communist goals. Look how many of those goals are targeting the education of your children. Our time has gone on the program today. Alex Newman is our guest. His book, Indoctrinating Our Children to Death, and that you're able to obtain a copy through his website. The details are there, libertysentinel.org. Alex, we so appreciate not only your your time and research for this, but uh, taking the hour to join our listeners in this issue as well. Well, it's an honor and a pleasure. Thank you, Jim, and God bless you. And uh, friends, Alex Newman here again, the website libertysentinel.org. And uh, there's so much more that's available in the book that we weren't able to cover today, but trust will be a help to you. God bless you, folks. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Crosstalk via satellite and the Internet from VCY America. Views expressed may or may not be those of this station. For a CD of today's program, send a donation of $6 or more to VCY Tape Ministry, 3434 West Kilbourne Avenue, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53208. Or download by RSS or podcast from CrosstalkAmerica.com. And join us again for Crosstalk. Crosstalk.